Good afternoon and welcome to the Legal Legal Show. This is your host, Tony Dodds. I'm an attorney here in Lakeland. Uh, to call into the show today, the number is 863-682-1430. That's 863-682-1430. To contact me at my office, the number is 863-688-2389. That's 863-688-2389. My office is conveniently located at 904 South Missouri Avenue in Lakeland. That is directly behind the old Southside Dry Cleaners that's on South Florida Avenue. If you find it, you can't miss my building because I'm directly behind them. Today, I thought I would go over the manslaughter laws in Florida. This is a, a very misunderstood, uh, sometimes misapplied statute uh, in Florida. And part of the stimulus for doing such is obviously because of the parents of the Oxford High School student who was involved in the shooting uh, they were charged over the last part of last week um, and, and actually had an arraignment on Friday that they did not attend because I'm not sure that they knew about it. But either way, they were charged and then picked up over the weekend uh, for several counts that included manslaughter. And a lot of people go, well, wait a minute, how could they be charged with manslaughter uh, when they weren't actual participants? Well, that's part of what I'm going to try to explain today. At least under Florida law, obviously I am not licensed in the state of Michigan, so I'm not trying to make any commentary whatsoever on uh, the reasoning or rationale behind their actual charges. But hypothetically, if something like that happened in our state, I'm, I'm going to give a little bit of a backdrop on the different types of manslaughter that exist in Florida and how they could possibly be charged here with it. Um, before I get into that explanation, I get to pat myself on the back again. Um, I don't do that very often, but this is one of those things that I'm kind of proud of. For the second year in a row, I was notified today that I'm listed as one of the top 100 criminal defense lawyers in the good old U.S. of A. So, yes, keep your applause down. I'm sure I can hear you somewhere out there doing that. Uh, but, I, you know, that makes me feel good that I'm able to do that, and as I was Talking with someone before the show gives you a little street cred when you're sitting here on the radio talking about criminal laws when somebody's actually recognized you as knowing what you're talking about. So with the backdrop of the school shooting, um, the Oxford High School parents being charged, and I'm going to go into their facts a little bit later if we have time, um, but I do want to let you know that there's very little precedent in the entire United States uh, dealing with charging parents for the actions of their children, especially ones involving, or particularly even involving, guns. Typically, when we see a parent charged with a manslaughter charge uh, with a child, and I'm, I'm using that in reference to anybody under 18, we're not talking about children that are 15 and 16 years old. We're talking about where the child's five or six years old and either shoots themselves or shoots somebody else. Everybody understands that a child of five years old probably cannot form what's called the requisite intent to be charged with any kind of a murder or an intentional type crime involving the use of that firearm. The issue then becomes, how did that child come into possession of the firearm? And the issue is, if it's a parent's firearm and they didn't have it secured properly, and that's how the child was able to get a hold of it and use it, then that's why parents can and generally can be or may be charged 
with manslaughter in those circumstances. Does it happen? Yes. Does it happen very often? No. And the answer is reason is because, one, the parents are already grieving at that point, particularly if the, the child killed themselves or killed somebody else. And sometimes the state just elects not to go there with something like that. Um, a, a lot of it just depends on the facts and circumstances of each case, though. But when we're talking about kids that are older, 15, 16, 17, and a lot of people go, well, they're not supposed to be in possession of a firearm. Okay, there are exceptions to that general rule when they can be in possession of a firearm in most states. But the issue then becomes they're a lot more capable of retrieving the gun even from a locked area. Or if it's not in a locked area, they, they're supposed to have imputed to them a better sense of what's right and wrong within the community. And therefore, there is more capability of forming an intent as it would relate to the use of the firearm or any weapon for that matter. And so that's why parents generally are not charged when the child is is older. There are some exceptions, I'm sure. Um, I've kind of did some research on this. Very few cases exist that are of, of documented history. Uh, within even the last 50 years of such having been done in the, in the entire United States, much less Michigan or Florida. Uh, there are, like I said, there are cases involving much younger children. Uh, that That's showing gross negligence on the part of the parent on leaving it out. When the child's older, there is like a, an unwritten rule that there's sort of a presumption that they have better sense than to get involved with something like that. Of course, I, I'm not sure that's always the case, I know plenty of teenagers that have no sense, much less better sense. And that becomes part of the issue of when they could possibly charge. And we'll talk about that as this case-specific fact pattern is later on uh, once we've gone through an analysis as it would relate to Florida laws on this. Uh, Manslaughter in Florida is outlined under Section 782.07, Subsection 1, of the Florida statutes. And in most cases, it is considered to be what's called a second-degree felony. When we talk about a second-degree felony, we're talking about a felony that is punishable by up to 15 years in Florida state prison, or technically 15 years of probation or any combination thereof, and includes fines and court costs and any other parts of the sentence that a judge might think are appropriate uh, to be imposed as part of that sentencing. So it is a second-degree felony. There are some times when it becomes a first-degree felony, and I'll try to touch on those as we go through this. Uh, But generally speaking, manslaughter is a second-degree felony. It's not homicide. It's not second-degree murder. It is lessers to each of them or can be a lesser to each of them, and that's why it's called manslaughter. There are, in essence, three different types of manslaughter. There's actually a fourth, and I'm going to touch on it at the very end. But there are three separated uh, designations or types of manslaughter. And after the break, I'm going to go into what each of those are. Uh, You've been listening to Talk Radio 96.7 FM and 1430 AM. Welcome back to The Legal Legal Show. This is your host, Tony Dodds. To call into the show, the number is 863-682-1430. 
That's 863-682-1430. To contact me at my office, the number is 863-688-2389. That's 863-688-2389. We've been kind of touching on, and I'm going to go into some more depth now, manslaughter laws as it would relate to the state of Florida. Um, Other states might write them slightly different. Uh, They might interpret them slightly different. But a lot of this stuff is fairly universal across the United States. uh, And they could even be interpreted slightly differently from state to state. So, again, the reason for doing this is the recent charging of the parents of the student in Oxford, Ohio, or excuse me, Oxford, uh, Michigan, that uh, the, the student was charged with several counts of murder and some other charges as well. Uh, he's 15 years old, and it, it's come to light that there was a lot of information that the school and the parents had uh, previous to the incident itself that there's a good chance that even school officials potentially could face some charges out of this. And I'll, again, try to hit that more a little bit later on. But we've discussed that there's three different types or three different ways that you can have uh, manslaughter in the state of Florida. And a lot of people go, well, I'm aware of voluntary and involuntary manslaughter. Well, with involuntary manslaughter, there are really two different ways that that can occur. Uh, The first one is manslaughter by act. And that's committing an intentional act. Uh, that was neither excusable nor justified that resulted in the death of another person. Now, a lot of people go, well, wait a minute, isn't that first-degree murder? No, first-degree murder requires premeditation. It could be very quick premeditation, but it still requires premeditation. This one com- uh, requires the commis- commission of an intentional act uh, that's not either excusable or justified that results in the death of another person. It does not require the intent to kill the person, though. So to kind of give you an example on something like this, and there's a couple of different ones. Uh, One of the biggest things that we used to see manslaughter used on was when a spouse would catch the other spouse in a compromising position with somebody else. In other words, they were having an affair. And they might walk into the room and kill the other person meaning the person that was having the affair with the spouse, or they might kill them both. The fact that they went in and caught them, that kind of negates the premeditation aspect of it. And if they kill them both, it looks like a heat-of-the-moment type situation. There are sometimes when you can bootstrap that into a second-degree murder, but again, it's more appropriately looking at it as a manslaughter. Another situation where we see... Manslaughter by act, bar fights, where a fight breaks out in a bar and one person happens to be a whole lot better fighter than the other one. Uh, And so one of them beats the other one to death or hits them so hard that they, they, one shot kills them. And that can happen if you hit them just right. If you, if somebody gets hit in the temple with just the right shot or they land on their head when they hit the ground, they can die. Well, there was no intent to kill them. There was an intent to hit them, to commit an act against them. There was an intent to inflict injury on them, but there was no intent to kill them. That that still is manslaughter by definition in the state of Florida. And so it's kind of when we're looking at issues of, of flashes of anger, 
rage or some other trigger that sets off somebody emotionally to do something they probably shouldn't do, but they do it anyway. And it results in the death of a human being, and therefore it's manslaughter. Now, a lot of those old manslaughter cases in the 60s and 70s, they might get charged, but a lot of jurors felt kind of sympathetic to the person getting charged because of the circumstances. So you might not end up with a conviction for manslaughter. You might end up with a not guilty verdict or some lesser offense like a simple battery, a pat on the back, and sorry about your luck, buddy. And that has evolved over time and has changed. Uh, you still might get that out of some jurors, but generally speaking, you're going to have a much different attitude towards it now than we did back in the 1950s, 60s, and 70s, simply because as a society we don't recognize that kind of reaction as being an appropriate reaction anymore. The second type of manslaughter, and this one's a little bit more difficult to understand, but it's really not as bad as it sounds, is still a form of voluntary manslaughter. And it is manslaughter by procurement. What does that mean? It means that the person being charged in some way was persuading, inducing, or enticing, or encouraging another person to commit an act that resulted in the death of a person. Classic example of that, we go back to the bar fight. And even before the fight starts occurring, and I'm, I'm trying to give you the best possible factual pattern, you, you've got people that are, you know, maybe you're getting agitated with each other. You add alcohol, and we know what happens when you do that. There's a certain word I can't say on the air, but it usually turns the persons into those. And they start arguing, and all of a sudden, you've got maybe one person on one side and one person on the other chirping in the ear of the people that are getting ready to, to get it on, so to speak, and telling them, hey, you need to go get him. The, you can't let him treat you like that. And it can't be a woman or a man. Uh, women are just as bad at this as men are of trying to incite issues or situations under those circumstances. And so say somebody is in the ear per, of the other person or not even in the ear. They're just standing behind him. Are you going to let him get away with that? Those kind of comments. You need to go beat his rear end and those kinds of things. Well, that is in form uh, a, a form of persuading, inducing, or enticing, or encouraging another person to commit the act that results in the death. So the person that you're sitting there cheering on to go beat the other one's rear end, if they end up killing them, you could be charged with manslaughter by procurement. Now, those are really, really difficult to prosecute unless you have a lot of witnesses, which you can have in a bar, but a lot of them have been drinking. The issue then is whether they attribute the statement to the right person or not. Uh, and then there might be even video with audio attached to it that would show the person's involvement. Again, it depends on the bar, depends on the circumstances. Some of your more less classy bars probably don't have video to begin with inside of uh, some of your higher fancier bars would might have the video but they're less likely to have these types of situations evolve to that level uh, a lot of them have bouncers that will try to diffuse the situation if need be uh, and they, they prefer not to call them bouncers they prefer to call them security personnel uh, a lot of us remember the old movie roadhouse uh, Patrick Swayze, and yes, he had 
supposedly killed a man and, and had been exonerated in a bar fight well before he ever ended up at the Double Deuce. Yes, I remember that movie well. I've, I've watched it dozens of times at this point. And ultimately, he ends up having to fight another guy later in the movie that is the trained henchman of one of the nemesis of the town and the main uh, antagonist. Uh, he fights him, and knowing it's to the death, which basically it is, that would also be probably listed as an excusable, justifiable uh, use of deadly force under the circumstances, so he would not be guilty of manslaughter there either. And you you see his character trying to use psychology to avoid those circumstances. He's trying to diffuse issues. He would not be the subject of a manslaughter by procurement. The opposite of that would be the antagonist guy who seemed to be trying to do everything he could uh, to try to start fights inside the bar, to try to ultimately get it shut down or closed down. He could have been charged potentially with manslaughter if anybody had died as a result of any of the fights that, that he had been in their ears or hired them to be involved with. So... That's kind of what manslaughter by procurement is, is the the person going through and and pushing somebody. And, and I've given you the, the casual examples. There are a lot of other ones that are out there. Uh, you can have a good friend of a person that, that starts telling somebody that their spouse is involved in a relationship with somebody else. Maybe they're not. But even if they are, if they're telling them this information and it, it, they keep doing it, keep grinding, you need to go do something about this, those types of comments, ultimately they can be charged with manslaughter by procurement because they pushed the person to commit the act that resulted in the death of somebody else. Um, you know, it's kind of one of those situations where a lot of the things that would fit under the manslaughter committed uh, by act. If somebody is pushing in anybody to do some of those types of actions, even if it's on very quick notice, that would be a manslaughter by procurement under Florida law. And that is another form of voluntary manslaughter. That becomes one of those things that they're creating the situation. Uh, it's not involuntary manslaughter, and I'm, I'm going to go into involuntary manslaughter after the break, but the two types of voluntary are manslaughter by act and manslaughter by procurement. It, it requires an intent to go forward to do something and to be involved in an activity that could result in the death of somebody else, whether it be the accident. The, the death could be accidental if the person fell during the altercation even and hits their head and dies, that's still manslaughter because of the intent of the act to begin with. You've been listening to Talk Radio 96.7 FM and 1430 AM. Welcome back to The Legal Legal Show. This is your host, Tony Dodds. To call in, the number is 863-682-1430. That's 863-682-1430. To contact me at my office, the number is 863-688-2389. That's 863-688-2389. We've been talking about manslaughter, and as I indicated at the beginning of the show, the reason for doing that is the recent issue in Michigan with the two parents being charged with manslaughter uh, based on the actions of their son, 
uh, with the high school at Oxford High School. And now we're going to go into what's called the third means by which manslaughter can be charged in Florida. And again, folks, I'm not commenting on Michigan law at all. I want to make sure everybody understands I am not licensed to practice in the state of Michigan. I wouldn't want to try to provide commentary on that. Uh, I simply am going by what we have in Florida to try to give you an example of how it might be applied here in Florida um, simply because of the circumstances under that case. But manslaughter by culpable negligence is what we call involuntary manslaughter. Uh, It's engaging in, quote, culpably negligent, end quote, conduct that results in the death of another person. In this case, these children that were shot in the classrooms or in the hallways died as a result of the hands of their son. The question becomes, is there culpably negligent conduct? Well, a lot of people go, what does that mean? One of the prime examples that we see, and we've even seen it here in Florida where somebody was directly charged with manslaughter by culpable negligence, is when we're seeing somebody in like a drag racing or speeding type incident going down the road. I mean, they're engaged in conduct that is clearly not permitted, uh, criminally chargeable for the drag racing part of it, uh, at some high, high rate of speed, and they end up either a passenger or spectator or just some innocent party coming from the other direction, uh, ends up getting hit and killed. We saw it a couple of times in recent history dealing with those types of incidents. Uh, One of them was in Pinellas. The other one was in Hillsboro. The kids were drag racing over in Hillsboro, and some pedestrian got hit and killed. I think it was a a pedestrian and their child, maybe. I, I, I can't remember the exact facts on it, but certainly involved a pedestrian. Uh, There was also the situation over in Pinellas uh, involving Nick Hogan uh, when he had an accident dealing with a a racing or whatever they want to call that where they they swerve the cars and stuff like that and power through it. There's a lot of iffies on what happened in that case, but it ended up the car flipped and his passenger died. Well, he was charged with negligent or uh, involuntary manslaughter out of that because while there was no intent to harm anybody, the behavior was such, or, or the action that was undertaken was such that it was considered to be culpable negligence on the part of the person doing it. It, it requires no intent. It requires an action that is extreme in not taking care of what you're supposed to do. And so, again, no intent to kill is necessary in order to prove that one. A lot of people are going to say, okay, how does that apply to our specific set of issues in the Michigan case? Well, again, I'm using Florida law, not Michigan law, okay? So there could be some differences on it. But assuming we even used our law in Michigan, according to what I'm reading so far, and I I always do this stuff with such a grain of salt because of how much misinformation is provided through the news media and even some prosecutorial offices, not ours, but in some of these other jurisdictions. But most in, most importantly, the media itself provides a lot of misinformation. So what I'm providing you right now is the stuff that I've seen so far. Maybe in six months or a year when this thing gets resolved, I'll be able to come back and say, okay, 
this was either completely not charged correctly or maybe it was completely charged correctly. We don't know yet. But from what we're, we're being told so far, the parents had bought this child the gun. I, I don't have a problem with that. Technically, under Michigan law, the child can't buy it. He couldn't buy it in any state for that matter. But the parents can buy it for the use of the child. In Michigan, though, there are laws that says that under the age of 18, they can only have possession of it either when they are uh, going hunting with it or possibly probably at a range, something like that, under direct adult supervision. So what do we have here? Well, according to this, this kid did not have this under direct adult supervision. He brought it onto the campus all by himself. And the only adults that would have been there had no idea that he had the gun. In those circumstances, we start attributing information to the parents that doesn't look good for them. That gun should have been less attainable by the child until the child lawfully could be in possession of it without them being around. Uh, in Florida, we have some provisions dealing with the fact that you're, you're supposed to have the guns locked up to where they can't even be accessed by the children. Uh, I, Michigan does not have such a law on their books requiring that part, but they don't have to. There is a portion, and I hate to use the word common sense, but I will, that says you start stepping over boundary lines when you don't make sure that a kid ha is basically going to have access to this thing and could hurt somebody with it. And then we have the additional red flags that are thrown up. Earlier in the day or the day previously, a teacher had noted uh, a drawing that the student had made showing himself uh, with the gun and what looked like blood on the ground and a body laying on the ground. Brought that to the attention of the administrators of the school, the administrators, and again, I, this is all news media reports, folks, so again, take it with a grain of salt, had brought the parents in and wanted the parents to take the child to go get a psychological evaluation. And the parents refused to do it and left the child on the campus. Now, whether somebody bothered to search the child's belongings and backpack is still yet to be disclosed. I, I have not found any information on that. If they did a search and couldn't find it, then the question begs itself, how did he even get the gun there? Or where did he leave the gun during all of this to where he could be able to retrieve it? And But we, we get into this position of parents buy a gun for him. He has possession of it in violation of state law. Um, then he has a, a drawing that's brought forth and the drawing depicts violence on there. And I, kids draw violent stuff. That's not the point. The points were at the, the parents were asked by the school administration, uh, to take some action concerning getting a mental health evaluation before bringing them back to campus. And the parents refused to do so. I can tell you in Florida, generally speaking, the, School here or schools here will either do the Baker Act proceeding themselves if they think it's necessary, or they will look at the parents and say, you need to go do it and don't bring the kid back until it's been done, meaning have them evaluate it. And I, I'm very familiar with that because of my representation of folks within the legal system. 
It's not that hard of a process. You go get them evaluated. If the psychologist says they're fine, they get to go back. If there's something that needs to be dealt with, it's dealt with. In this case, neither of the parents wanted to do that. They wanted to leave the kid on the campus. Now, hindsight is always twenty twenty. It's real easy to look back and say, yeah, they should have taken the kid. But if there had been no other indicators of any problem, then you, you start wondering, okay, do they have enough to go forward? And that's part of what we're going to have to see on how this all evolves. Uh, but they, they definitely are charged under a theory of manslaughter by culpable negligence because they did not, um, they took actions or inactions that ultimately resulted in the death of another person. They could have interceded by taking that child off the campus and did not do so, which ultimately resulted in the kid's death, the other kid's deaths. Um, if a weapon or firearm is used, these types of offenses in Florida go from a, a second-degree felony to a first-degree felony, which means the maximum penalty goes from 15 years in Florida State Prison to 30 years in Florida State Prison. And obviously there's some minimum mandatories for the, the use of the gun itself that can actually pop it all the way up to life in prison. Um, so it's a very serious set of circumstances. And it's something that actually, as of earlier today, I watched part of a news conference involving the prosecutor for that particular area. She is still investigating whether to charge the school officials under this as well. And I will go into more of that after the break. You have been listening to Talk Radio 96.7 FM and 1430 AM. Welcome back to The Legal Legal Show. This is your host, Tony Dodds. To call in, the number is 863-682-1430. To contact me at my office, the number is 863-688-2389. That's 863-688-2389. We've been discussing the various forms of manslaughter uh, that are all under one section of the statutes in Florida, but there are three different ways that somebody can actually be charged with it. And during the break, we were actually discussing that Another great example of the manslaughter by procurement could possibly even be with the old biker gang type things that we've seen within the movies, and we've actually seen a lot of criminal prosecutions out of this, where the president of a gang might tell one of the sergeant of arms, I need you to go out and rough somebody up or collect a fee or a bill or whatever, and they go out and they do a little too good a job roughing them up, and they end up dying. Well... The mere fact that they told them to go rough them up can put them into a position of a manslaughter by procurement. And again, though, you got to have witnesses, and the only way something like that's going to happen with a biker gang is for there to be a rat, somebody ratting out somebody, and it usually happens because they've been charged with something, and they want to do whatever they can to negate their problems. Those are those are tough cases for prosecutors because you're going into the devil's den and the witnesses you're getting are the devil's disciples as it would relate uh, to certain types of testimony that you're going to be presenting. So you have to make sure you have some sort of independent evidence or you try to get independent evidence because otherwise that's a really tough case to try to go forward on. But like I told you before the break, if there's a weapon or firearm, it elevates it a degree. There's also the enhancements in Florida. Uh, for the usage of a firearm anyway, and that can and cause minimum mandatory problems. 
as it would relate to the school officials. And the Michigan prosecutor uh, is not, as of today, ruling out certain school officials being charged as well. And the reason they're not ruling it out, and they're having to look at it very long and hard, is those officials have tried to use as a, a protective shield that they had asked the parents to take the child to go get them evaluated. And the, the parents wouldn't do it and left the child on the campus. Well, then the child goes back to the classroom, and now we have the problem we have. If the school officials felt so strongly that that's what they wanted the parents to do, I'm assuming, and again, I hate assuming anything because we all know what happens when we do that, but I would be willing to venture a bet that Michigan has something on the books comparable to our Baker Act proceedings here. And if they felt strongly enough about it, they could have easily had law enforcement do their version of a Baker Act proceeding to go have that child evaluated. I have no idea why they didn't do that. Uh, it would have been simple enough. Uh, the only hypothesis I have for why they wouldn't do that is they might have been afraid of getting sued by the parents for doing it themselves. In Florida, we have a lot of uh, civil immunity for not only school officials but for law enforcement officers uh, for doing their duty under those circumstances to ensure the safety of not only the other kids in the school, but the safety of the child involved. And so easily they could have done that, and they failed to do it. And so as a result, that could place certain administrators, including the dean of students and the principal or anybody else that was actually involved in this conference that they had with the parents, into a position of, having, of being charged with manslaughter. Uh, they could also be charged with some sort of uh, issue involving their duties as an administrator within a school. I don't know what that would be in Florida without going digging through a lot of books to figure it out. There's probably something buried out there that requires school officials uh, to undertake uh, different types of steps to ensure the safety of the students. So there might be some catch-all that they could go and go uh, charge them under without having to go as far as manslaughter. Again, it's Michigan. I'm not licensed there. I don't know. Uh, but as, here, it would be something that would be looked at, but it's a real stretch to start trying to get school officials involved in something like that. They're there to teach your kids, not try to prevent all kinds of tragedies. Parents need to be involved with their kids and need to understand the problems. And when they don't and they allow these things to happen, there are ramifications to that. Now, does a parent have 24-7 watch over their kid? No, especially when they're at school grounds. But they have to ensure that that child does not have access to the things that could do this type of damage. And in this case, they didn't do that, or at least based on the evidence we've been given so far. And I, I keep cautioning that because after that Rittenhouse case where we were fed such a bunch of garbage and then we kind of find out later based on the video and all of the testimonial off, uh, evidence that was presented, that was a completely different scenario than we were fed to begin with. So we don't know everything in this case until we get further into it. This is all based on what we've been presented with so far.
there are defenses that are available to a manslaughter charge. Uh, excusable homicide, and that's usually one that's based on a pure accident, not not something where you were doing something so stupid, i.e., say you were doing 70 and a 55, and you ended up in an accident out on Interstate 4, which is basically Death Race 2000 anyway, and if anybody doesn't know what I'm talking about with that, go see the original movie. Don't bother with the remake. The remake was awful. But it's basically a situation where that road is is out of control a lot of the time during the day and even into the evening. So if you're out there doing 70 in some portion that's 55, and I'm not even sure there's an area where it's 55 anymore on any of it, and, and you end up in an accident and somebody dies, that is going to be considered an accident. You're not going to get charged with manslaughter. Now, I say that. If you're weaving in and out of traffic and you're doing like 80 in a 55, and we've seen that happening. I've seen it happening. It's frustrating. I start backing off when I see somebody that's acting an idiot. They, they come swerving in and out of the lanes. I'm sure we've all seen it at this point. And they cause an accident. That's a potential issue of manslaughter by culpable negligence. Um, so it depends on how bad the behavior is as to whether or not it's going to be excusable homicide which is like an accident, or if it is a situation where you've gone beyond being able to excuse the behavior included. Um, the other one would be another one would be justifiable homicide, which would be a, a situation where you're resisting an attempt to kill uh, or somebody's trying to commit a felony against you and you end up killing somebody. You, and you may not have been in a situation where you're intending to. You just do because you're in a situation that's life or death. That can be listed as justifiable homicide. And a lot of times we end up lumping into that self-defense, which, again, you're trying to protect yourself, somebody else, uh, or you're trying to protect yourself against a felony that's uh, being pushed on you. And so we end up with... Excusable homicide, justifiable homicide, self-defense, and obviously the last defense on something like this is it wasn't you that did it to begin with. Somebody else was involved on the bad behavior. That's just a lack of identification. The fourth type of manslaughter, which I didn't want to devote a whole lot of time on the show to because it has nothing to do with this particular situation, but it may be something I do a whole show on one day, is DUI manslaughter. And the reason we have such a thing on the books is by the very nature that you're driving under the influence of an alcoholic beverage to the extent that your normal faculties are impaired or that you are over a .08 breath or blood alcohol level, and I'm doing that just to cover my bases and make sure everybody understands, and you end up in an accident and somebody else dies in the accident, you can be charged with DUI manslaughter. Because the mere consumption of alcoholic beverages to the extent that you're impaired and driving a vehicle it puts everybody at peril and rises to the level of what we would deem culpable negligence in this state. In other words, you're putting yourself at risk and you're putting everybody else at risk. And you're going, okay, well, what about the regular DUI? Well, they're putting people at risk, but nobody died. It becomes the felony that it is because of 
the fact that somebody died as a result of that driving. And the person that dies does not have to be uh, somebody in another vehicle. It could even be a passenger in your own vehicle. So say you're involved in a single vehicle rollover. That can be DUI manslaughter if the passenger or one of the passengers dies. Uh, so that it's has it's got nothing to do with the fact pattern of the Michigan case, but it is an alternative means of which somebody can be charged with DUI manslaughter. So like we've talked about before, and I'm kind of doing this as a summation, which would be something like I would do with a closing argument in a jury trial. In essence, based off of what we have been fed so far in the form of evidence, that is the nutshell of why the parents are being charged is, one, they procured the actual gun that ultimately the kid used, or at least that's what the evidence being released so far says. And two, they were given advance notice that there was a problem concerning their, their son. They did nothing to try to intervene or intercede uh, to help diffuse the issue and kind of blew it off thinking it was no big deal. And as a result, then when he does engage himself in it, we have a huge problem on our hands. And this Michigan prosecutor is taking the position, because of their failure to act, that they have placed themselves in a position of being charged with manslaughter. Uh, Again, it's a very rare case. There's very little case precedent on it. It would be interesting to see how this one proceeds. And I'll try to address it later on once we've seen more come out of this. You've been listening to The Legal Eagle Show, and you've been listening to Talk Radio 96.7 FM and 1430 AM.